0: Hey C.O.V. my name is Calvin Miller, and I'm a part of the staff here at Church of the Valley. And today I'm going to be part one of four teaching today's passage, which is 1 Peter 3, 8 through 14. So before we start reading this passage, we need to be aware of the context. So Peter is writing this letter to Christians who have been exiled from Rome, who are facing extreme persecution. When I say persecution, I don't mean a minor inconvenience, like the ice cream machine at McDonald's being broken. I'm talking about Christians being set on fire for their faith. So while this letter is tailored to these exiles, this does not mean that it isn't applicable today. So as we dive into the text, we need to read with the lens that Peter is talking to these early Christians. Yet God can still use this passage to speak into our present circumstances. If you remember last week, we talked about uh, marriage and wives submitting to their husbands. And kind of all throughout 1 Peter, we see this theme of humility, whether that's submitting to authority or enduring when someone wrongs you, or even in marriage, um, kind of suffering well um, and having humility to endure. And that's something we're gonna see again today. And just before we start, I wanna pray for us in this time. Dear God, uh, I just thank you for this opportunity um, to share God's word with the people of COV. And uh, I pray that no matter how eloquently I speak, that you'd be able to to use me and the other interns um, to just preach your word to the congregation, and I pray that um, that we wouldn't just take this passage and, and forget it going into the week, but that we'd actually be able to apply it, and that we'd be able to grow more into your likeness, it's in your name we pray, amen. So jumping into the text, verse 8 says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, Love one another, be compassionate and humble. So when Peter says all of you, he's referring to um, all the Christians that have been exiled in the dispersion. And then he lists a bunch of attributes and it's easy to gloss over this. But Peter chooses each one for a specific purpose that is relevant to the Christians of that time period. So the first of these is like minded. Um, and in Romans fifteen five it says, "May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had." So basically, when Peter says "like-minded," he's talking about a unity um, that he wants the these Christians to have. That would have been vital for them because they're stretched out across the continent. They have different lifestyles, different circumstances. But what unites them together? Jesus and the gospel. Um, that's that's what they all have in common. And I think that's still relevant for us, um, as it's easy to divide ourselves as Christians. There's people who have been to church their whole lives. There are people who met Christ more recently. But we're all brothers and sisters in Christ through Jesus' death on the cross. All right, so the next attribute that Peter talks about is sympathetic. And so basically, this is putting yourself in someone else's shoes and identifying with them. Peter's encouraging these exiles to set aside their own egos and pride and put aside their own differences with each other in the name of unity. And in Philippians 2.3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So essentially, what Peter is asking these Christians to do is to be other centric, which means to consider someone else ahead of yourself. And this is coming from a place of humility where you can set aside um, your own desires to satisfy those of others. So the third attribute that Peter lists is love, and he asks the Christians to love one another. And we've talked a lot about loving each other over the past couple of weeks. And here, Peter's just hammering the same point home. And we're called to love others despite our differences. The fourth characteristic that Peter talks about is compassion. And there are many instances in the Bible where God or Jesus have compassion on people. One of these examples is in Matthew 9, verse 36, it says, "'When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, "'because they were harassed and helpless, "'like sheep without a shepherd.'" So um, it's hard to be compassionate, um, especially when it's inconvenient for us, but uh, we have a merciful and kind Father who knows and feels our suffering, and we can look to Jesus as a an example of compassion. Alright, so the final and probably the most important attribute that Peter lists is humility. Um, And it would have been incredibly important for the Christians at this time to stay humble because they were being persecuted both verbally and physically. And looking back at chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, uh, the Christians were just supposed to endure and suffer well and suffer well that's actually a a good definition of humility to be humiliated and to endure it to not fight back and that's just so against my own nature um you can talk to anyone who plays board games with me or sports um when someone wrongs me uh, i just want to lash out and want to lash out harder than, than they did. Um, for example, in board games, um, someone plays like a bad card or we play a card game and someone burns one of my cards. Um, I'll devote the rest of my, the game to making sure that person doesn't win. And this isn't what we're supposed to do as Christians. Um, this is coming out of a place of pride for me um, where I don't want someone else to feel like they won in exchange. Um, And so I retaliate, but we're supposed to be humble and endure and suffer um, as Christ suffered. And we do this because um, we can point to Christ through the way that we respond to suffering. And in the same way, we can be a light to others through the way we compose ourselves. I do want to emphasize that we can't do this without God's help. Like I said, my nature is not to be humble. Um, It's actually very ironic that I am teaching on humility, since that's something I really struggle with. Um, So we need to ask God to help us with that. And he's the only way that um, we can be a witness to others using humility. All right, so you may have seen a a common theme throughout all these attributes. And they kind of lead into each other. Uh, Being in unity leads to the ability to see something from someone else's point of view, which leads to being able to love each other well. And this uh, allows us to pray and have a heart for others. And all of these things are rooted in humility, which is a hard attitude created by Jesus that allows us to consider others more highly than ourselves.
1: And this leads us to verse 9, which says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because this is because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So Peter is continuing his line of thought coming out of these attributes. And he's addressing sort of the next step. As Calvin was talking about, you know, when we when we come out of a humble state of being, it's often we're combating pride. We get into the cycle of revenge or payback or, you know, you name it. Um, and Peter is addressing this. And keep in mind, he's addressing a displaced oppressed persecuted church that has been driven from Rome as they have been killed and lit on fire and imprisoned and put in gladiatorial rings and so this is what he's saying do not repay evil with evil and insult with insult it reminds me of in the Beatitudes when Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount and he says, look, you, you've heard it said this way, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and all of these religious things. And if you keep them, then, you know, God will love you or you'll be saved. And he's saying it's not about that at all. It's not about keeping the letter of the law. It's about your heart. And it's the same thing that Peter is saying. Hey, it, it's not about the fact that if you refrain from, you know, an evil cycle or a revenge cycle or getting somebody back in that board game, then good stuff will happen to you. What he's saying is, hey, you get to be different. He says, on the contrary, repay evil with blessing. And this word blessing is the word eulogize. And eulogize is where we get our word eulogy. And if you know anything about funerals, the eulogy is that speech or piece of writing where you're praising the person who has just passed away. You talk about their accomplishments, their achievements, who they were, their life, how great they were, even if they weren't that great, all of these things. That's a eulogy. And so this is the word that he's saying when he says, on the contrary, rather than being evil and speaking low about somebody, speak highly of them. What? I mean, you have these people who have every right, these displaced Christians, every right to hate on the Romans, every right to, because the Romans were terrible at this point in time, right? But Peter is saying, don't do it. He's warning them against that. Why? And it made me think about this, you know, in our context, right, that it doesn't matter what side of the spectrum you're on when it comes to politics, religion or theology, um, nerddom, because I'm a huge nerd and I'm involved in all this stuff. It doesn't matter what side, there's always going to be something to hate about the opposite side. There's always going to be some reason to want to bash. And I remember thinking about this the other day, I was scrolling through Facebook and Instagram, and I have a couple of friends and family that All they post about is bashing one side or the other when it comes to anything under the sun. That's all they talk about. And I remember thinking, man, that's what they're placing their identity in. They're so wrapped up in this. They're so... This is where my identity is founded. I'm going to destroy this other side or I'm going to diminish this other side and elevate mine and I'm right and you're wrong. And there are points in in size where I'm like, that's completely valid. You are completely justified in saying that or that's hysterical. I'm going to like that, you know. So that's what I was thinking. But then I was I was thinking about it and I went, don't place your identity in the way that you have been wrong. That our identity comes from the God Most High, from Jesus Christ, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. That our identity is found in him. And that's kind of what Peter is talking about. Hey, when you start to get into this vicious cycle of bashing the other side, of speaking poorly about somebody else, it can undermine your whole witness. That as Calvin was talking about this idea of unity and humility, That's what we're called to. We're not called to a divisive spirit. We're called to place others and value others as higher than ourselves. Even if we don't agree with them, even if we don't like them, the Bible is filled with, hey, bless your enemy. Do for your enemy what um, is out of this world unimaginably weird, right? And Paul puts it this way in Romans 12, 17 through 21. So Paul, who's writing this again to the the Christian church in Rome, is echoing what Peter has just said, where he's saying, look, don't get sucked into this revenge cycle. Don't get sucked into the way that the world operates, where it's payback cycle and arrogance and pride. Why? Well, he says it at the end of verse nine. You were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And the second word blessing that he's using is different than the word eulogize. When he's saying is you've inherited God's salvation. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and you get to be different because of Jesus and for Jesus. You get to represent Jesus Christ, the work that he's done on the cross. You get to represent him here on earth through your actions And I was thinking about this, I was like, okay, what is a visual of interrupting this crazy cycle? And I was thinking about in the third Indiana Jones, the last crusade, you have Harrison Ford and Sean Connery and they're being chased by Nazis and this motorcycle chase. And he's got this pole, what it's like to have the Holy Spirit. To do your fighting and to your battles with the word and with prayer is it's putting a spoke out of whack with your pole. It removes the momentum. That's what happens when you invite the Holy Spirit into the process. Nothing good ever happens when you escalate, right? You can see that in in the, the comments, right, of most you know, political or theological or movie or any kind of a debate. It just escalates. And pretty soon it's mudslinging and it's a a slap fight. And so what Peter is cautioning them against is don't, don't let this be your consuming identity. Don't let this anger and injustice, don't let your own hurt pride and the things that you felt have been done wrong to you be the consuming drive of the way that you act. Rather, remember that you are a sinner saved by grace. Verse 10, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. So Peter is continuing on and he's basically laying something out. He's pulling in um, Psalm 34. He's pulling in the scripture, um, which is written by David as he's fleeing Saul's persecution against him for being righteous. And so he's pulling in the scripture to kind of support and illustrate what he's saying. And at first glance, it looks like, oh, if I do this work, if I keep my mouth, if I keep my tongue from evil and deceit, then my days are going to be great. They're going to be fine. I'm going to love my life and everything will be grand. And that's not what he's saying. In fact, what he's saying is this is an example. This is a, a choice that Peter is offering by pulling in this passage of scripture that what he's saying has nothing to do with moral modification. And it's not about you are qualified or disqualified from your salvation. It's not a, if I do this, then God will give me this at all. What he's saying is this is how somebody who is saved by grace acts and responds. This is what the Holy Spirit does through you that you can refrain from this. And when you refrain from that, it's not you doing it, right? It's as as we were talking about, you can't do it on your own. It's something that Jesus does through you. And the beautiful result of that is that you have an inner peace, that you have an inner sort of righteousness that you've been adopted into, that you get to be different. And this starts with humility. As I said earlier, it starts with the understanding that you are a sinner saved by grace, that you were saved to be an example and be a light, that you get to be different. And it's not about anything you've done. And it's not about how great the other end of the spectrum is. And it's not how deserving somebody else is. Because if you look at it, none of us deserve grace. None of us deserve compassion. None of us deserve to be prayed for. And yet that's the gift that Jesus has given us. That you and I are saved. That we are saved to point others towards Christ. That our sanctification process, the process of us getting to know Jesus better, is a living testimony to somebody else of showing his goodness, of showing him off, that we are not called to disunity. We're not called to division. We're called to unity, to prayer, to lifting each other up, to respect and honor, to ripping up that crazy cycle of escalation by interjecting Jesus into the equation. That's what we're called to, church, that by knowing Jesus better, by pursuing him, by acting and obeying him, we get to point others towards him as a living testimony, that we are a living sacrifice, right? That we are living proof, if you will, that we are witnesses to the grace and the goodness that comes from him. That's what Peter is talking about. That the, the love of life, the good days has, has nothing to do with, with the reality. It's not a name it and claim it. It has everything to do with the fact that um, by having him, by knowing him, by having a relationship with him, Something radical happens in us and that radical change is evidenced in the way that we behave towards others, in the way that we witness and talk about and interact with other people.
2: Going along with what Laura said, we point others to Christ by the example of our living testimonies. It's about an attitude of humility, considering others better than ourselves. As Christians, we face persecution and suffering And sometimes it's hard to keep this attitude of humility. A great example of this was King David in Psalm 34. As Laura mentioned, the context of the psalm was that David was fleeing from Saul's persecution. In the midst of suffering, David remained humble and praised God through it. David had abandoned his home and was on the run. And still, he lifted his voice to worship God. As Christians, we also face things that frustrate us and confuse us. But the best way through life is to humbly submit to God and what he says is best. If we're following God's plan for our lives, he will take us through suffering in due time. No matter the circumstances, there is a way to humbly submit to God's plan instead of our own. And that's seen in the verses that we're studying. So um, in First Peter three eleven through twelve, it says they must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So first verse eleven, they must they must turn from evil and do good. So first, who's they? As it says in verse 10, whoever would love life and see good days. So if we want to love life and see good days, we must turn from evil and do good. The only problem with that is that in our own strength, that will never happen. The only way it can is if we humble ourselves and ask God to change us. Our obedience to a law can never make us better, nor more righteous. It is our faith in God that saves us and our obedience to God that sanctifies us. Now, what it looks like to turn from evil means to repent and then follow. We must pick up our crosses daily and follow Jesus. Do you wanna love life? Obey Jesus. Do you wanna see good days in your life? I know I'm not talking about living in a mansion with a Lamborghini or having the nicest clothes or the new Ford Bronco for whoever's out there eyeing it. No, honestly, uh, the best days uh, that we could have in this life are the days where we hold Christ at the center of our lives, the days where we humbly submit to God and choose to pursue him. As the Psalm says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere they must seek peace and pursue it. Now peace could mean serenity or calmness, but the peace that it's referred to here is probably speaking of unity or harmony within relationships. So what would it look like for us to have peace in our homes, in our church, and in our families, to have the peace of God that surpasses understanding? It would be wonderful It would be worthy of praising God. Relationships would be restored. Immature believers would find their identity. People would come to know God more. Could you imagine a a dinner with your family where everyone loved each other and humbly submitted to one another because of their love for God? And then verse 12, it says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. God's eyes are on us. Why? Well, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and God has made us righteous through Jesus. To put it simply, Jesus died on a cross and rose again to save us from sin and give us eternal life. And because of this, God sees us and hears us, and that should make us humble. What a miracle. The more we know God, the more humility should show up in our lives. When you look up at the stars or see Yosemite or go out in nature and get to know creation more, you come to know the true beauty and magnificence of the world. And in a similar way, if we ponder upon God, the creator of the world, we get to glimpse his immeasurable beauty and magnificence since god has created us we can be assured that he is a loving father who hears our prayers and provides for our every need and that should produce humility in us it is a gift to be seen and heard by god Now, in one way, it can be weird to know that God's eyes are on us, but it depends on our perception of God. Do we see him as the loving father that he is, or has our view of God been shaped by the world and past circumstances? As Charles Spurgeon puts it when talking about the righteous, he says, He observes them with approval and tender consideration. They're so dear to him that he cannot take his eyes off them. He watches each one of them as carefully and intently as if they were only that one creature in the universe. I had a dream one morning as I was studying this passage and I was going into a foot race with some other people. Me and my competitive nature wanted to win this race. And so I did everything I could to beat the others. I looked over and I saw the hotshot star who everyone was looking at. His name was Sebastian. And I wanted nothing more in that moment to beat him in the race. So we got in our positions and in our stances along with the others. And my mind was consumed with beating Sebastian. And before much later, bang, the race begins. Immediately, my foot slips, and I stumble ahead. Instantly, I'm in last place, and I try to catch up with everyone else. The race ends, and I end up losing to Sebastian. Now, as I've thought more about this, I see now that it wasn't about winning. It never was. Us winning in life isn't what makes God proud of us. God sees us and is pleased with us, no matter the score of the game, no matter what we do. And that should humble us. He approves of us because of what he has done for us. And now we can be comforted in whatever place we get, because winning is not our purpose. We don't need to let our competitiveness control us, since our identity is as the humble people of God. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, we should remember that we were in the camp of those who do evil. We were friends with sin, practicing unrighteousness together with the world. But then the beauty of the gospel came into our lives. While we were deep in our sin, God's son died for us and then rose again. Jesus gave us a clean slate and made us new. No longer are we friends with the world, but friends of God. Yes, we mess up, but it's because we are works in progress. We're in a process of learning how to live as sons and daughters of God. So let us humbly ask God to sanctify us over time. I want to ask
3: you do we really have anything to worry about as followers of Christ if I'm on a team with the creator of the universe do I really have anything to lose if I'm honest sometimes I do think about loss and I do have unnecessary instances where I worry but as Gabriel mentioned there's a peace and rest that comes with knowing what Jesus has done for us That we're no longer in the camp of those who do evil, but instead Jesus has made us new. That he's watching over us and approves of us because of what he has done for us. Just hearing that brings me comfort. But sometimes we have trouble engaging with people out of uncertainty of their response. Even though Christians aren't commonly being set on fire anymore, conversations about the gospel can sometimes take a turn for the worse. Maybe it becomes a heated argument with a family member or, or an awkward relationship with a coworker. Sometimes, in my case, it, people mean me harm just because of the color of my skin. None of this, though, should stop us from sharing the good news that Christ is alive. And that's why Peter writes and offers assurance in verse 13, where he says, Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? And this is the icing on the cake to what we've been talking about and reading about. Peter already quoted Psalm, saying that the Lord has favor on those that he has called. But as mentioned before, Christians were under intense persecution and exile, and that they, may have, they, have, they may have hesitated to live outwardly as followers of Christ, out of fear of getting hurt physically, or, and they probably had engaged with some people who weren't so friendly along the way. This might explain why Peter seems to be making the point that When one is striving for Christ's likeness and has an attitude where they're humble, compassionate, loving, sympathetic, like-minded, they don't repay evil with evil, but instead they bless, who would really want to hurt someone like that? But there's another thing we have to take into account. Sometimes, even today, people still want to repay good with evil. Even if you are after what's truly good, or in this case, who is truly good, From internet trolls to people we come into contact with on a day-to-day basis, there's no telling what someone's intentions really are. But there's good news. We don't have to change our trajectory or have fear in their actions or words. The reality is, suffering often comes as followers of Christ and can come about emotionally and even physically, even though that was a little bit more characteristic of the contextual time period. But regardless, we have to act as witnesses. That Christ is alive. In verse 14, Peter writes, But even if you should suffer for, for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. This is Peter's kind of insurance policy encouragement. He's saying, But just in case you do suffer, which oftentimes happens, even if the people he's addressing were suffering that at the hand of those who have evil intentions or made them harm, that they're blessed. And how could this be? You might be asking yourself, how could someone suffering also be blessed? How could I be blessed while I'm going through tough times in the pandemic? How can I still be spiritually secure? Both verse 13 and 14 offer something on a spiritual level regarding this. Why would we suffer as Christians? Well, the reason is we share in Christ's sufferings as we identify in him. We suffer because Christ is our righteousness. Colossians 2 says in verse 11, In him also you were circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus did all those things, and that's who we identify in. But the thing is, Jesus is alive. And that means when it comes to suffering for righteousness, it's worth it. And it's not in vain. It isn't something to worry about, but rather something to embrace. But again, if I'm suffering and striving for what's right, then God opened my eyes to see what's right. It had nothing to do with me and everything to do with him, meaning that my hard work doesn't or didn't get me to this point. But it's a gift from God. And in following that comes a response and a duty as a Christian out of love for our Lord. If we love Jesus and know who he is and what he's done for us, wouldn't obedience follow? In Philippians three, verse eight through 14, Paul puts it this way. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This blessing that Peter is talking about in verse 14 is the blessing of what is promised to those who are made righteous through the faith gifted to us in Christ. Even if our physical conditions change, our spiritual conditions don't. Our blessing is that Jesus is our way to the Father. Our blessing is that we have eternal life in him. Our blessing is that no one can ever pluck us out of his hand. And our blessing is that Jesus lived, suffered, and died, but then rose again that we would be made righteous as adopted sons and daughters of the God Most High. And we have a spirit in us. We get to obey the Lord and his upward calling. And because of him, we're spiritually secure. Those Christians facing persecution, or spiritually secure. This is why Peter reminds them at the tail end of verse 14 that not to be afraid or even troubled. Spiritually, no one or thing can ever lay a finger on me or my relationship with Jesus because I am the Lord's and he is our savior and our defender. In John 10, starting in verse 27, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one will be able to snatch them. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I am a sheep and the Lord's my shepherd. With all this in mind this is why we must be willing and prepared to be witnesses to the gospel truth even in tough circumstances. Quite frankly, if we call ourselves followers of Christ, we ought to live like it. But none of this should make us shy away. We shouldn't see this humility and sacrifice as a to-do list or a way to earn our salvation, but instead as a response of those who love Jesus. But while we're called to be humble and loving and have humility, we must remember that Jesus produces that in us that he would get glory using imperfect people. And he doesn't make us figure it out on our own. We have a God who loves us and is sanctifying us, and he has made us righteous so that he would be known. So I ask you again, do we really have anything to lose as followers of Christ? Is there an area where you're shying away because it's uncomfortable? Is there an area where the Lord can humble us? Is there someone that's difficult in our lives that we can be a witness of the gospel truth to? Remember, Christ is alive, even in the tough circumstances and with him, we're gonna get through whatever trials come our way. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are the God most high. I thank you for your son Jesus and I thank you that he made a way for us to be with you God. And Lord I thank you that you have called us higher. I thank you that you ask us and to to continue on even though we have to, we might have to suffer, but that we identify with you in that suffering Lord. And it brings me so much comfort knowing that you're right here with me regardless of what trials come. So Lord, I just pray for each and every person who's watching this this playlist, Lord, that you would meet them right where they're at. God, that you would comfort them and remind them that you are alive. And Lord, you've got us. And Jesus, we just thank you so much for all that you're doing. And we pray all this in your name.
1: Amen.